0: I mentioned that I'd been pastor at Kensington for 24 years and one of the questions that I was asked most often was, Andy, what should I do? And uh, there were a whole variety of situations that people would come and and talk to you about somehow wanting some sort of insight or or wisdom. Now now sometimes questions like that can be easily answered. There are some people who, who raise questions and I say, well, I can tell you an answer, it's pretty obvious. It's pretty easy because God's Word is absolutely explicit about something. So, here is what God's Word says. Do it. But at other times, uh, the questioner was alarmed to hear me say that actually I hadn't got a clue what they should do and I didn't really think it mattered much. So, I rarely gave advice, for example, on those no one did come to ask me what colour they should paint in their living room, but that sort of question, you, you understand it. There's no point giving a, an opinion on that, or you know, what car should they buy? <laughs> you know, what should I know? How many children should should they have? We did have that question uh, once, and really, I will, when those questions are asked, say to them, actually, what matters more is is that you grow in Christ's likeness, be more like Jesus. And use your sanctified common sense. Use your mind. You come to a reasonable decision over these matters. It is not for me to have any say in this area of your life. But there were other times, there are other times when people come to you and say, what should I do? And they are grappling with an issue that is bigger and deeper. Uh, issues where there are no explicit answers in the Bible. And, and actually, these folks, good hearts, good minds, deep consciences, are aware that they, as they've examined the scriptures and the principles of scriptures, that there are a whole variety of options which actually all appear very reasonable and appear to make, uh, to, to honor God. So, for example, some of the questions that we've faced someone says, Look, is God calling me to full time? Christian service? Or should I stay where I am in my present work situation and use that to glorify his name and witness for him? Being asked the question should I refuse a promotion? I've been offered a promotion. Should I refuse it so that I can serve my family better and serve my church better? Or, or should I take it? Does God want me to exercise? a godly influence in higher corridors of power. Well, the question has arisen, should we stay near the children or grandchildren? We're growing older and we we feel we have a responsibility to them or should we support a particular Christian work that we are concerned about and and move overseas and, and leave our children and grandchildren behind? And so the questions go. And no doubt there will be many more arising from the fellowship here. Folks, I don't know you. Let me say that. No one's um, primed me in saying there are people here who have these particular issues. Andy, could you uh, confront that? But I, I've had no uh, priming sheet to, to that effect. But there will be questions probably many of you are asking about your lives, about where you're at, about what you should be doing. Questions of weight and importance questions to do with usefulness to God your your heart is after the lord you want to serve him faithfully what should you do and the glorious thing is that god doesn't play hide and seek with us he doesn't leave us a trail of obscure clues to see if we're clever enough to work out the conundrum. I, I remember it must have been about 25 years ago. Do you remember there was a book published about some sort of rabbit that if you bought the book and you went through, you would find a, a golden rabbit hidden and buried somewhere. Um, I think the guy who did it thought it was going to take about 18 months. I think it was more like 18 hours before someone had cracked the code. And, and at times we get that... If, That idea of that's the will of God, you know, if we can put all the clues together because God is very cunning and then maybe we'll get some idea. No, he doesn't work like that. His very nature is he delights to make his way known to his people, to those who seek him. And therefore, as we come to this passage in Acts 13, the story of the first missionary journey to the Gentiles We're not at all surprised to find that God's guidance is very prominent here. It is God who is leading his church here. It is God who is sending out his servants. It is God who is empowering the message. In fact, you may have noticed, it was most noticeable, I think, how Luke makes three references to the Holy Spirit in these opening verses. This was a significant step that the church was taking, and God was at work by his Spirit. And therefore, what I want to do this morning is to make seven observations about guidance. And, and just in case you're going, oh, seven. Um, look, we'll, we'll be over in the allotted time, I trust, or, or thereabouts. OK, seven observations about guidance that arise from this passage. Now, could I say more could be said on this whole subject of guidance from other parts of Scripture, for example, especially Romans 12. Uh, but I will limit what I have to say to the passage that we have before us, and make a, a number uh, of headings. The first thing I want to say is this. God leads through our desires. God leads through our desires. Have a look at those first two verses. In the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon, called Niger, Lucius, of Cyrene, Manaean, who had been brought up with Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. We actually here. I don't know if you've realised, but we actually have here a big question that we need to work out. When it says in verse 2, while they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, who is being referred to? Is it referring to the five guys, the, the prophets and teachers, or is it referring to the church as a whole? Now, the way our English translations are laid out suggests that it was this group of prophets and teachers who were worshipping the Lord and fasting but the context suggests that actually it is the church at Antioch as a whole who were worshipping the Lord and fasting. Now, why were they doing this? Why was there this passion to seek God in this particular way? Well, look, this can only be conjecture, but it would seem that God was stirring up that church for its next stage of development and mission. What did God want them to do? Can I just say, I was so struck by what was shared earlier. I wasn't aware that you'd had that day of prayer on that Easter Saturday and that time of prayer and fasting as you were seeking God's will. Uh, I think one of those remarkable things when you come to preach on a particular message and find it ties in with things that are happening Uh, in the life of the church. You see, that church there was asking that question, what is the next way forward? And so they set themselves to seek God passionately so that they might discern his will for their lives. And it was against that background of people who were pleading passionately with God that God was then pleased to make his will known. And the question I need to ask you this morning is this. Look, do you really want to know God's will for your life? Do you really want to know God's will for your life, both individually and corporately? Oh, it can be the spiritual sounding thing to say, because you immediately, there's an knee jerk reaction for believers. Oh yes, Andy, I want to know God's will for my life. But are you radically committed to knowing and following through on what God wants for you? I think the trouble is that so many of us are not serious about trusting God with our futures. Although, theologically, see, we're evangelicals here. This is what Mordling Road stands for, doesn't it? Our theology declares that God's love is perfect, God's wisdom is perfect. Our theology declares that God longs to bless us, but in reality, where the rubber hits the road, in reality, we doubt his care. And we prefer to trust and set our own agendas. Agendas to do with our position or with our relationships or with our comforts or our possessions. And for all we declare, we aren't really at the point of unreserved obedience. For the issue I actually believe is this. If you are not able to say to God that you trust him absolutely with all that you are, all that you have, all that you ever hope to be, look, let's not speak about guidance. Because actually the starting point for guidance is the passionate commitment to do whatever he says. If I could put it like this, you sign the blank check and you let God fill in the details. You see, guidance is all about knowing God. The church in Antioch knew that God's grace was infinite and overflowing. They knew that they could trust the Lord with absolutely everything. They knew that God, if I could put it like this, would never do the dirty on them. And so they sought him passionately because his will was something that they longed to know and they longed to put into practice. I think that explains that most wonderful verse. If when people did come to me and talk about guidance, can I say there was one verse I would always take them to. I think it is a great verse on guidance in the whole of Scripture. It is Psalm 37, verse 4. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of of your heart delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart when you individually when you corporately are delighting yourself in the character of our sovereign gracious God and you say he can be trusted could I then tell you what happens when you are delighting yourselves in the Lord he so changes hearts and minds that he gives you desires which are totally in keeping with his will my friends are you at that point Or do you need to ask God to reveal more of himself to you and to deliver you from your selfish fears? God leads through our desires. But then secondly, God leads through our faithfulness. Let me explain what I mean by that. Why Saul and Barnabas? Why was it those two guys who were identified? Why did God identify them as the ones to do his work? And why did the church then confirm that call? Could I suggest it was because they had proved themselves? They had shown themselves to be reliable servants of God, who not only knew God's word, but they, these were guys who were obedient and had shown themselves to be obedient to God's leading. Uh, for example, in, in Acts 11, verse 26, uh, we read this. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. So there they were, the teachers, faithful teachers. But then notice how the Lord entrusted these two with another task. It's there in in 11 verses 29 to 30. The disciples, each according to his ability, decided to provide help for the brothers living in Judea. This they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. And then notice how Luke deliberately records how they fulfilled Uh, this task, and and can I say I was very grateful that the reading did go back to verse 25 of chapter 12. When Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission, the mission that the church of Antioch had entrusted them to, they returned uh, from Jerusalem, taking with them John, also called Mark. You see, it was because Barnabas and Saul were faithful in doing what God called them to do, that the Lord was able to entrust them with an even greater task. And could I say, I think the same is true today. Well, I know the same is true today. If you are not able to carry out faithfully the most mundane task in the life of the church, my friends, don't expect that God will call you to do anything greater. You think no one notices. God does. Preparation for greater usefulness begins by doing the little things with all your heart. I have to say, I just cannot understand any thinking that aims for less than excellence in the Christian life. Do what God has called you to do with all your powers for his glory, and then maybe he will entrust you with greater responsibilities. But could I say this, if you're not even willing to do the mundane tasks, whether it's cleaning the church, cleaning the loo, setting out chairs, whatever, without grumbling, then let's not talk about this whole question of guidance. God leads through our faithfulness. Thirdly, God leads through our confirmations. Have a look at verses 2-3. While they, that is the members of the church at Antioch, were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, "Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them." So, after they had fasted and prayed—remember, that is the members of the church at Antioch—they placed their hands on them and sent them off. See, I have no doubt that God was already moving in the hearts of Barnabas and Saul. It's indicated when it talks about the work to which God had uh, had called them. He was moving them to, to go from Antioch, to go into other regions with the gospel. But notice how God confirms that call. Firstly, there is that prophetic word. Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Now, that probably came from one of one or more of the prophets and teachers who were mentioned by name at the, the start of chapter 13. And although we must handle this verse with care, what can be stated with certainty is that God will often use and lead his people through the wise and confirming words of those who exercise spiritual leadership in a church. And we must be sensitive to the advice of godly people in a church when seeking God's will uh, in a particular area. But but then secondly, that prophetic word that came from one of these prophets saying this is what I believe God is saying into this situation is further confirmed by the church itself. It would seem that the whole church then made this a matter of concentrated prayer and seeking so that then they were all able to send off Barnabas and Saul confident that God was in it and indicating that they were behind it. Indeed, this whole laying on of hands was a symbol of the whole church's identification with the call. We are with you. We are behind you in this. And may God bless you and his spirit be upon your work. I think there are important lessons for us to learn here. Namely, that God works through the church rather than through individualistic freelancers. Uh, Christian history, uh, the present Christian scene is littered with people who say, I'm, I'm greatly gifted by God. They set up their own organisation in their own name and they go and do their own thing. No, God works through the church. And the gathered church needs to listen to what God is saying and to come to a spiritual consensus. But again, if I could say, it's why I was so grateful for what was shared at the beginning of our time here. It's hearing that this is what you guys here at Maudlin Road are doing. And can I encourage you with all my heart, the next time that day of fasting and prayer is arranged, where more of you are able to attend, to be there, and to pray, and to seek God together, and to listen to what God is saying. God leads through our confirmations, but then God leads through our experiences. It's there in verses 4 to 5. The two of them, sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, went down to Seleucia and sailed from there to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. Why Cyprus? Why did they go to Cyprus? Why did they work their way through the synagogues there? Was this something intensely mystical? Did they have another word of prophecy? Oh, I have a picture of Cyprus. Actually, I think the answer is a lot simpler. Barnabas was from Cyprus. He knew the place, and he loved the people. No doubt he had friends there with whom they may have stayed as they went on their travels. And why did they go into synagogues as their primary evangelistic strategy? Because they were Jews. And Jesus had come as their Messiah, and they had the same religious mindset, and Saul was a highly trained and respected Jewish teacher, rabbi. I think it's as simple as that. God leads us through our experiences. You see, because he is the sovereign God, our call, what he wants in our lives, doesn't come as a surprise to him. Rather, actually, he knew all about you even before you were born. He, he called you to be his child before you, you, you entered into this earthly scene. And he so ordered your life and your gifts and your personality and your experiences so that you will be ready for the task he has prepared for you to do. So when you are wondering what God wants you to do, it's worth looking at the sort of person that you are. The character, the gifting that God has given to you. Maybe you think that God wants you to serve him through music. But you can't read music and you can't sing in tune. So, can I say, that is hardly likely. And, by the way, I'm very grateful for the music group, who are great. Uh, They're terrific. Thank you. Maybe you think that God wants you to be a preacher. Maybe you're thinking, that guy, what on earth is he doing, standing at the front, preaching God's word to us. I should be there. I could do a much better job. You, You probably could. But, if you don't enjoy studying the Bible, and if you have trouble stringing two words together, then that also is hardly likely. But maybe you find that you have a real ability to go alongside people who are struggling with loneliness. Maybe you can relate to them. Maybe you understand how they're feeling. And maybe God is leading you to serve in an area related to that. Your your experience, your gifting is preparing you for that area of service. Maybe you find it unnatural to do cold calling evangelism. You know, well, I sort of let's go on the streets and let's give out leaflets and, and, and stuff. You say, I couldn't do that. Can I say, don't feel guilty about that at all? Evangelists are called to do that. I don't think most of us are called to do that. But actually, maybe you're a great host and, and you just love using your home and you have that ability to make people at ease. You know, they come into your home and they relax. Maybe God is leading you to serve him in an area related to that. Or maybe you say you could never serve God overseas because you're lousy at learning languages. And we had references in Zambia that was made to earlier. You may say, I could never go to Zambia. I could never do that stuff. I, I could never be a missionary in Zambia. But maybe actually you are one of these people who are just so practically minded. Um, I have a brother who's two years younger than me. I have the exam credentials against my name, but my brother is probably brighter than I am, but his intelligence comes through. He could blindfold him, he could take a motorbike engine apart and put it together again. Now, to me, that's a genius, you know? He's gifted in that way. He's great with his hands. He's great in the practical aspects. And actually, maybe in Zambia, when the money is raised, they may need someone like you. And you say, I could never be a missionary. But actually, the gifting God has given you prepares you to do a task like that, where you can help erect a building in that particular way. You see, God leads through our experiences. He is a sovereign God. He's not just suddenly said, oh look, here's Joe, what should we do with Joe? He said, I've known Joe right from the start. I've had my eye on Joe. I love Joe. I've prepared Joe. I've given Joe these gifts and experiences for what I want Joe to do. What has God been preparing you for? your gifting, your experiences, the stuff you've been through. Maybe your heart has been broken. And you are able, with the comfort you've received, to comfort others. Fifthly, and let me just say, the last three points are going to be much briefer. Um, verses 6 to 8. God leads through our difficulties. They travelled through the whole island until they came to Pathos. There they met a Jewish sorcerer and false prophet named Bar-Jesus, who was an attendant of the proconsul, Sergius Paulus. The proconsul, an intelligent man, sent for Barnabas and Saul because he wanted to hear the word of God. But Elemas the sorcerer, for that is what his name means, opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul from the faith. Look, the point I want to make here is that the fact that difficulty or opposition might arise doesn't mean that you have got it wrong or that God's got it wrong. See, Saul and Barnabas were opposed for what they were doing. Was this because they were doing what they were doing was not God's will? On the contrary, actually, they were opposed because they were doing God's will. It was because they were holding out the gospel, and the gospel in itself provokes fierce opposition. So, look, don't be surprised that having prayerfully considered God's will for your life having sought the advice of others, having stepped out in obedience to do what you believe God has called you to do and gifted you to do, understand this, Satan will not be happy. But it is so often through these tr- troubles, through these trials, that God will build our faith and knowledge of him. Ready for even greater acts of ministry and service. Uh, Friday night, Kath and I were with another ministry couple, uh, and we were talking about the fact that so often for those in ministry, it's often through our children that the Lord refines and shapes us Um, unsaved kids, disabled kids. And it is hard, and it is painful. But God, in his grace and love and mercy, will so refine his servants that they will be more like Jesus and better able to serve him. God leads us through our difficulties. Sixthly, God leads us through our circumstances. See, Saul and Barnabas had not planned to target the political rulers in their evangelistic strategy. They were sticking to the synagogues. They were sticking to dealing with the God-fearing Jews. But something happens that they had not planned or anticipated. In verse 7, we noted, we read this, the proconsul, an intelligent man, sent for Barnabas and Saul because he wanted to hear the word of God. So what did they do? Did they refuse and actually say, well, sorry, we'll have to decline this invitation because it doesn't fit into our pre-planned evangelistic strategy? <laughs> nothing of the sort they responded to the circumstances that had been brought about by a sovereign God. And we discover this thoroughly Gentile ruler becomes a believer in Jesus Christ. In other words, if you do what God calls you to do, if you are faithful to his calling, obedient to his word, don't be surprised when God intervenes in ways you had never imagined. So often the truth is that God wants to use you in bigger ways than you ever thought possible. Just remain faithful to his cause and remain responsive to his leading. God leads through our circumstances. Finally, seventhly, God leads through our sensitivity. Let me read verses 9 to 12 to you. Then Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked straight at Elymas and said, You're a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that is right. You're full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. Will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? Now the hand of the Lord is against you. You're going to be blind and for a time you'll be unable to see the light of the sun. Immediately mist and darkness came over him and he groped about seeking someone to lead him by the hand. When the proconsul saw what had happened, he believed, for he was amazed at the teaching about the Lord." Now, how did Paul know what to say? How did he know that he should speak so severely and pronounce such a curse on this man? Could I suggest I think it was because he was sensitive to the particular leading and the particular prompting of the Holy Spirit at that time. See, it wasn't that Paul was not filled with the Holy Spirit before that, he was. Rather, Luke is emphasising that the Holy Spirit so led Paul at that particular moment. Now look, it is unlikely that the Holy Spirit will prompt you to curse an ungodly opponent with blindness. But the point is this, there are other ways the Holy Spirit is at work today. And other ways that he wants you to commend Jesus Christ to your unbelieving friends and family. And we must be those who are always sensitive to such leading and prompting. Now, I, I, I'm, primarily, I'm, I'm not primarily talking about sort of mystical insights and fuzzy feelings or strange, ill-defined dreams. I'm fed up with people who come up to me and say, I, I have a picture. I want to give you a picture. I say, well, oh, thank you very much. I've never once been able to make head or toe of any pictures I've been given. And I'm not knocking the sincerity of the person who, who brings things, but so often they think guidance is in this Strange way. No. So often, I think when you encounter people who boast of such things, you actually find it mixed with a a pride because they actually want you to think of them more highly than you should think of the Saviour. Now, what I'm talking about, I'm talking about a same biblically balanced Christ-centered discernment that is ready with courage to respond to all that God wants us to do. Look, I have no time for those who take pride in doctrinal correctness, but glory in spiritual inertia. Oh, we have the truth, but we don't do anything with it. God is moving. And to paraphrase Jonathan Edwards, it is our responsibility to move in the direction the wind of the Spirit is blowing today. What is God saying today? What is he saying to you as a church today? What are the opportunities that today... This is a great day for gospel opportunity. One of the things that thrills me, as I have to travel about the country, talking in different churches, is wonderful gospel openings that we have. So many people turning to Jesus. So many students turning to Jesus. What is God saying today to you as a church? And what is God saying to you individually? Have you ever known that feeling? I should ring someone. I should ring them. You think, where on earth did that come from? I don't know. There may be very natural reasons for it or it may have been the Holy Spirit prompting you to do it. But when such things happen, can I say I think we should be sensitive and responsive to what God says and, and do that? The number of times that's been a blessing uh, in, in Kathenau's life is trying to listen and respond to, to what God, is saying. God, leads through our sensitivity. May we be people who are just so Christ-saturated, so in love with Jesus, so in love with his honour, so in love with his glory, that we're ready to do what he says. I pray that for you individually, for the issues that you're facing. And if there is things that you would like to, to talk through, look, I, I'm around, but, but Dan is around, and Peter, whenever he returns, is around as well. Talk and pray with them about these things. They would, they would love to help you in that way. And as a church, be assured of my prayers that for you as a church, as you have these times when you come together and honestly, without any agendas, you seek God's face for what it means for you in this city at this time. May you know great wisdom.